privilege for me to speak tonight and um, especially on this subject which I absolutely love to speak on. Um, if you've got your Bibles we're going to be looking at Psalm 107 and we're going to be looking at God's heart for the broken and I just absolutely love this psalm. Um, it tells us so much about God's heart for the broken and for the poor and for the vulnerable and it's quite a long psalm um, so I've asked Jade if she'll read it for us. We're looking at it in the New International Version. The words will come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But Jade's just going to read um, most of the verses in this psalm through to us. Give, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds of mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works of, with songs of joy. Some went out of the seas in ships. They were merchants on, mighty, on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up the te a tempest that lift, uh, lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of, of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Thank you, Jade. We missed out some of the verses there because it is quite a long um, passage to read. But I just absolutely love the psalm because I love what it tells us about God, first and foremost, um, particularly about his character and his nature, but also what it tells us about how he deals with the people that he created. 
Um, I love what it tells us about different groups of people. There were four different groups of people in that psalm, and we're going to look at that um, in a minute. We're going to see how God responds to each of them. It's easy to see from this psalm that actually God cares so much about those who are broken and poor. But before we get into that and look at the categories of people, I want to look a little bit about how it fits in with the whole Bible. Because it's really important that we don't just take this one passage and say, well, okay, so this means um, God cares about the poor and broken. But without looking at, does the whole of the Bible say that as well? And actually it does. But when I first became a Christian, um, I had this idea that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the part of the Bible that is before Jesus came, was very, very different to Jesus. I had this kind of idea that the God of the Old Testament was just about rules and regulations and do this and don't do that. And if you do things wrong, you're going to be in serious trouble. And then Jesus came along and was kind and compassionate. And I kind of had this notion that Jesus was a bit like a fluffier version of God, that he was just different to God the Father in some way. And obviously, I had a massive misunderstanding about God and his heart, because actually the Bible tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It says that in Colossians. And as we heard earlier in Hebrews, it says that he is the exact representation of God. So when we look at Jesus, Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So actually, whatever we see Jesus doing, however we see Jesus behaving, the Father is exactly the same. And actually, so the truth is that whatever we read in the Gospels about Jesus's heart for the poor. It's exactly the same as God the Father's heart for the poor. And actually, we can look at any part of the Bible from Genesis at the beginning right through to Revelation at the end, and we can find that God has always, always been especially concerned about the poor and the broken. The truth is that wherever we look, whichever part of the Bible, whichever book we look in, we see God's heart for the people that society rejects. We see God's heart for the people who feel abandoned. We see God's heart for the people who are struggling with life for whatever reason. And obviously there's not time this evening to go through every verse in the Bible that talks about God's heart for the poor because there are literally hundreds of verses that do. But I just want us to put a few slides up. This is just a snippet of some of the verses in the Bible that I've just kind of handpicked that tell us about God's heart for the poor. So we see it in the verses that are up on the screen in the law, the first few books of the Bible, verses where God tells his people to, if they're farmers, leave behind some of the grain when they're farming so that those who don't have food to eat can go and pick it up. Where God tells his people that um, if you pay someone, don't delay their wages, but pay them on time. That if you lend money to someone, don't charge interest on them, but actually just lend it to them and just get that back without you know, making them poor by making them pay back a whole load that they can't afford. And then we get to the Psalms and the Proverbs, and not just this Psalm that we're looking at tonight, but there are tons of Psalms, and there are loads of Proverbs that actually speak of God's heart and compassion for the poor and needy. And then in the books of the Bible that are prophetic, that are written by the prophets, again, time and time again, we see God's heart for the poor. And then we come to the New Testament. And again, God's heart and mercy and, of mercy and compassion for those in need is nowhere more evident than in the Gospels, where we see Jesus mixing and interacting with the poor and the broken. But then when we come to the book of Acts as well, which tells us about the early church and about the first Christians, we see that thread running right through that as well. And then through the letters to Christians and to churches, um, right through to Revelation at the end, 
God's heart for the poor is in every single book of the Bible. It's actually inescapable if you're reading your Bible, paying attention and looking at it carefully. We can't get away from the fact that our God is a God who loves the poor and loves the broken. God is directly interested in the needs of the poor. And it's just everywhere. It's crystal clear in the Bible. And if there is any doubt in our minds, we just need to look to Jesus We just need to look to the people that Jesus spent his time with. He spent so much of his time with people who were just in chronic need. And he expended a huge amount of energy, physical energy, spiritual energy, emotional energy, meeting the needs of the people around him. And it looked very different from person to person. It's not that it was an identical one-size-fits-all response to people. It looked different, but it was always coming from the same place of wanting to show mercy and kindness to the people that he encountered. So why is God fundamentally concerned about the poor and the broken? Actually, the answer is really simple. It's just because it's who he is. It's absolutely 100% based on his character, his nature, who he is, what he is like. God is intrinsically kind and compassionate. He is intrinsically gracious and loving and merciful. The psalm that we've just looked at, Psalm 107, starts with the words, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good and his love endures forever. God is good and it's from that place that he fundamentally cares about the poor and the broken. And in Micah chapter 7, we're told that God delights to show mercy. Mercy can be defined as undeserved loving kindness in action. And God isn't reluctant to show mercy to us. He loves to show us that kindness that we don't deserve. He loves to put it into action. And this verse in Micah 7 that says that God delights to show mercy, I just absolutely love it because if you've ever wondered, uh, if you've ever asked, what makes God happy? Well, here's one answer from the Bible for you. That it delights him to show mercy. He absolutely loves to do it. So Isaiah actually says something very similar about God. In Isaiah it says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. And so it's not just that God likes to show mercy and grace to us. It's that he actually longs to do it. I put the words in italics because we can read verses like this and just miss these words, which are so crucial and tell us so much about who God is. He absolutely longs to be gracious to the people that he's created, to you and to me, and to those in the communities around us. And it's not just that he longs to do it, but that it says he will rise up to show you compassion. It's something that he actively does. He's not sitting there just waiting, thinking, well, when you do A, B, and C, then I'll, I'll show you some kindness and compassion. He's active. He rises up. He wants to do it. So God's concern for the poor and broken is fundamentally rooted in who he is. But what does this actually look like when it comes to different groups of people? What does it actually look like when it comes to those perhaps who've become poor or broken through their own choices, for example? And I think that's where this psalm is so helpful to us because it does look at these four different types of people. So it started off, it's a very poetic psalm and in the first kind of verse, Um, which we read in verses 4 to 9, it starts off talking about the homeless and the hungry. 
It's talking about those who are wandering in the desert and can't find a community to settle in. They don't have like a network of people around them to care for them. They're completely lost and they're looking for a way to find a home, but they can't find it. And because of that, they're hungry and they're thirsty as they wander about. And it says that their lives are ebbing away. These are people who, as far as we can tell from this passage, find themselves in that situation through no fault of their own. But if no one rescues them, they're facing death. And then there's the second group that we read about in uh, verses 10 to 16, who are actually the guilty and imprisoned. So they're quite different to the first category. These are those who are sitting in utter darkness, suffering in chains. But the psalm tells us the reason why they're in darkness and the reason why they're in chains is because they rebelled against God's commands and they despised his plans. Those are the words used in this psalm to describe them. So these are people who've clearly done wrong and who now, because of their own bad decisions, find themselves languishing in prison and in darkness and in heavy chains with no one to help them. And the third group of people in this psalm are similarly in a situation of their own making. It actually tells us in verses 17 to 22 that these are the foolish and the self-damaged. These are those who, again, through their own sin, through their own rebellious ways, now find themselves suffering affliction. They're people who've brought calamity, calamity and destruction upon themselves by their foolishness, and they're now wasting away, drawing near to death. And the Bible doesn't pull any punches here. It's quite clear that these are people who kind of made their own situation. But the final group we read about um, in verses 23 to 32 are another group who actually haven't made their own situation. These are the storm-battered people. These are merchants who've actually gone out on the sea in ships to make a living for themselves, to support themselves, and no doubt to support their families as well. These are people who are just trying to make a living, but the psalm tells us they now find themselves at their wit's end, in a fierce storm, sinking with no way to get out of their circumstances. They're not there really through any thought of their own. They were trying to do the right thing, trying to just make a living. But the situation they now face is beyond their control, and they're utterly powerless to change. So these are four very different groups of people, uh, but it's really easy, I think, for us to find comparisons with different groups of people in our communities today. We've seen across our country the huge rise in food banks across the whole nation, from just a handful, maybe five, six or seven years ago, to now well over 400 in the Trussell Trust Food Bank Network alone. That's the network that we partner with to deliver our food bank. But actually many, many more if you count all the other food banks in the country as well. And our own food bank here in Hastings gives out literally thousands of food parcels every year to people in our communities who would otherwise not be able to eat, not be able to feed their families. So these are the hungry and in terms of homelessness, I was in a meeting um, just a couple of weeks ago, actually at Ashburnham Place, where um, there were representatives of Hastings Borough Council and Rother District Council who told us that homelessness, that rough sleeping in this area has risen by four to five hundred percent in the last few years, which is absolutely staggering. So we don't have to look far to find the first category of people in this psalm, the hungry and the homeless. But I'm sure that we can all think too about people like the second and third categories in this psalm, 
people who find themselves in a desperate place due to decisions they've made for themselves. So in the psalm it talks about prisoners. Well, we know that there are people who have committed crimes and are in prison, which is the right thing to happen in response to what they've done. If we look at an issue such as debt, for example, now obviously sometimes people find themselves in debt through circumstances beyond their control, through things they couldn't help. Maybe they get a mortgage, they try and get on the property ladder, and then they're made redundant and they can't keep up their repayments. But debt's also an area where we know that people get into trouble through bad decisions that they make. Uh, Through the CAP debt centre that runs locally and also through the food bank, we'd know of people who come up and say, I made this decision and this decision and this decision, and it snowballed, and now I find myself in desperate need. Please, will you help me? And there are some who are just foolish, who use a credit card time and time again, knowing full well that they can't pay it off. Actually, that's a bit of my story. Twelve years ago, I was in £26,000 of debt. I had no way of paying it back. I was unemployed at the time. And um, I just, I got into debt through stupid things. I just made bad decisions. I was at university, and I wanted to go out and drink and I wanted to take drugs, and I wanted to go backpacking around Europe, which was great fun, but I had to ask the bank to lend me the money to do it, and I had no way of paying it back. So uh, 12 years ago, I found myself in a situation where I met with a guy in the church who was an expert in this kind of area, and he was like, I think you should declare yourself bankrupt. Now, in the end, I quite soon after that got a job, so I didn't, and then I worked hard to pay back the debt. But I was definitely someone who was in debt through my own foolish decisions and my own constantly taking money, putting money on credit cards that I had no way of paying back. I've actually got a friend at the minute who's got about £20,000 on credit cards and just pays off the minimum every month. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, no, I'll probably never be able to pay it off, but, you know, if there's something I want to buy, I'll just keep spending on credit cards. Clearly, there are people who get into trouble because they keep making one bad decision after another. But then, like the final group in this psalm, there are some people who are just battered by the storms of life and who are just utterly powerless to change their circumstances. So in our context, a kind of typical example might be Syrian refugees. You only have to Google um, images of Syria and look at before and after pictures and just look a few years ago to cities that were just normal-looking cities that are now completely barren, completely desolate, no homes, nowhere that people can live. And there are people whose homes and livelihoods have been destroyed, who've lost family members, and who are so fearful of staying in their homeland that they would rather get on a boat with often very small children and risk their lives crossing the Mediterranean Sea in a boat that is utterly ill-equipped to make that journey. These are people who are desperate because there is no other way to change their circumstances than to risk their lives. This category might also include people who are widowed or orphaned or people who are struggling with rejection or grief or brokenheartedness of one kind or another. People who are suffering from mental illness and just have no power to change what's going on in their lives. People who face natural disasters. Those who are trying to earn a living but just keep being made redundant or just keep losing their jobs or, you know, farmers who maybe just have bad crops year after year after year. And actually, poverty in this country right now doesn't just affect people who are unemployed. Actually, 66% of households in this country right now that are in poverty have at least one adult who is working. 
So there are many people in our country who are trying to make ends meet, but just find that the circumstances of life come up against them time and time again. And so this group could really cover anyone who finds themselves in a desperate place and genuinely just can't get their head above water to get out of their circumstances. So we've got these four groups of people in the psalm who are all easily relatable to groups we might encounter today, all in dire need, some through their own making, some who are just victims of circumstance facing poverty and brokenness through no fault of their own, Um, some very much there because of foolishness and rebellion against the ways of God. But what I find really fascinating about this psalm, and actually throughout the Bible and throughout all of history actually as well, is that God's concern for the poor and the broken isn't based on their behavior. Actually, mine would be. I would look at these different categories of people, and if I'm completely honest with you, what goes on in my heart is different groups of people come, and I think, yeah, no, I really want to help you because I really feel compassion for you. And other groups, I think, oh, I'm not sure because, you know, are you even going to change your behavior if I help you? So my heart isn't necessarily always to treat people the same. I want people to be thankful when I help them, if I'm completely honest with you. But God's response to each of these groups of people is absolutely identical. We find that what happens for each of them is the same. So at the end of every section of this psalm, what it says is, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So because God is merciful, because he's good, Because his love endures forever, as we were singing about, and as this psalm says, because he delights to show mercy and longs to be gracious to us, his response to us is never based on our behavior, but it's always based on his character and on who he is. Tim Keller writes about this psalm. Despite their radically different situations, there was one common factor. Everyone who cried to God was heard. Behold how he loves us. And in one sense, for those of us here tonight who know Jesus and follow him, this should come as no surprise to us. Firstly, because it's how he's treated us. He's never treated us based on what we deserve or don't deserve. He's always treated us based on who he is, not what we've done. But also, when we look at the Gospels, we see that Jesus actually started his entire ministry reading um, from Isaiah 61. So we see in Luke chapter 4, before Jesus has really done an awful lot, he's been baptized, he's been tempted in the desert. He starts his whole ministry reading from a passage of the Bible that says that the gospel is good news to the poor, that it brings sight to the blind, which is both literally but also to those in all kinds of darkness. It says that there's release for the prisoners, that the oppressed are set free. In this passage in Isaiah, it says that the brokenhearted find that their hearts can be bound up and healed and they can find wholeness. So when we read in the Gospels about how Jesus treated people, we see that he didn't exclude anyone based on their behavior or based on who they were. He interacted with those that society completely shunned and despised. It meant that prostitutes could come to him, um, that sinners of all kinds could come to him, that lepers could come to him that tax collectors who were despised because of the job that they did. I was thinking about this, and I thought a modern-day equivalent is probably parking attendants. You know, like, it's hard to feel mercy for a parking attendant, especially as they are sticking a ticket on your car and you're pleading with them not to because you've just got back. But Jesus 
actually spent the majority of his time welcoming the despised and rejected, regardless of whether it was because of the decisions they'd made or whether it was through no fault of their own, such as those who came to him with leprosy. He didn't put any conditions on his acts of mercy. He was kind to everyone he encountered. Now, it looked different for different people. It's not that Jesus treated everyone identically. It didn't have the same outworking. But actually, how he treated people was always, always totally rooted in his mercy and his compassion and not whether the person had deserved it or whether they'd got themselves into that situation or even whether they were grateful for it. We see the story of Jesus healing the ten lepers and it tells us that one of them returned to thank him for it. But we don't then read Jesus chasing after the other nine and saying, oi, oi, you didn't thank me for it, so now I need to revoke that healing from you. We just don't see that. We see that Jesus acts in accordance with who he is and he leaves people's response to them. People can respond to him however they want to. He doesn't force himself on anyone but he always acts in the same way. Now, our society so often says to people, well, you made, you made your bed, you lie in it. But God never says that to us. We do often have to face the consequences of our actions. It's not that God just kind of wipes away any consequences of our actions. Actually, sometimes the mercy of God to us looks like us being allowed to experience the consequences so that we, that we sometimes do have to face up to the outcome of the decisions that we've made but God always 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 treats us with mercy and compassion that is always his starting place for those of us who are in Jesus there is no punishment from God for our behavior even when we wander away from him he doesn't punish us for how we behave because Jesus has already taken the punishment for us on the cross So what does this psalm mean for us? What are the implications of what we read in Psalm 107 for us and how we should behave? Well, the two final verses in this psalm tell us that the upright, which is those that God has redeemed, that's those who follow Jesus, see and rejoice. We get to see the way God is and we get to rejoice in it. But it also then says we get to heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. And I just love the wording here. Because heed doesn't mean to take a casual little look and go, oh, that's nice. Heed means more than to just observe. Calvin says it's to be attentive and to give our constant meditation. It's to carefully consider and it's to deliberately and maturely digest the ways of God. And I just love that because it says that we need to really look into, well, what does this mean? What does it tell us about God and how does it tell us about how we should respond to people as well? And I think the first thing that I absolutely love about this psalm is that it means that when we're poor, when we're broken in any way, whether it's literally, whether it's emotionally, whether it's spiritually, whether you literally don't know where your next meal is coming from, or if you're feeling guilty and imprisoned through things that you know you've done wrong, or if you know you've made foolish decisions and you think, is there any way back for me? Or if you're feeling like life is just battering you, The great news of this psalm, and actually the great news of the whole Bible, is that God longs to be merciful to you and to me. That the great news is that when we cry out to him, he will deliver us from our distress. And it doesn't always mean that our circumstances will change. God isn't a genie where we get three wishes and he grants them all to us. And he's not a magician who waves a magic wand and gives us everything we ask for. 
Our problems don't always just automatically disappear. But God's promise to us is that he will hear our cry and he will respond to us in mercy and in unfailing love. If we turn to him, he will rescue us. He'll give us hope and he'll give us a future and the promise of an eternity with him where we'll be completely free from suffering, free from pain, free from tears. We can be absolutely confident that when we cry out to God in our time of need, that he will be merciful to us because it's just who he is. There's no other way for God to respond because it's based on his character and his nature and it's nothing to do with how we've got into the situation that we find ourselves in. So the natural and the right response of everyone who's faced one of these situations that I've described, and in one sense that's all of us because at least spiritually we've all been through these different situations. We've all been hungry and desperate for God. We've all been afflicted and suffered in some way. We've all felt battered by life in some way. Then our right response, our correct response, is like this psalm says at the end of each verse on each of these groups of people, let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. But as well as being thankful for who God is and for what he's done for us, For those of us who are Christians here today, we're actually called to be imitators of Christ. We are called to represent God, to be ambassadors of Christ to those around around us. So while we, we might read a psalm like this, and we might quite naturally put ourselves in the place of the storm tossed or in the in the place of the desperate, and that's good and that's helpful. But actually, now as Christians, our role in the story has changed. We now get to be like God to the people we encounter who are poor and broken. We get to show something of his rescue and his love and his mercy and his kindness to those around us. Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 36, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. But so often we don't do this, do we? I mean, I don't know about you, I don't do this so often. Um, And I'm guessing that some of you in the room will be with me as well. Calvin says that God is naturally prone to loving kindness. I love that quote. I love it. But I know that I'm not always naturally prone to loving kindness. I know that I have a cutoff point for my compassion, and it's really not very far away at any given point. Uh, Let me tell you a story that just kind of illustrates this. Um, When I lived in China, there was a kid who was begging on the street, and he was absolutely filthy, and his clothes were like threadbare, falling off him. And I felt compassion for him, so I gave him some money. And I saw him take it to a street vendor and buy a rice cake to feed himself with. Um, And then I saw him take it over to a woman who I assume was his mum. And she broke a little bit off. And what was going on in my head was I thought, this is nice. Uh, She's going to have a little bit, and then he's going to get the big bit. And that's really nice. I'm glad she's getting a little bit too. But what actually happened was she gave him the small bit, this little kid, probably about five or six years old, and she ate the majority of it. And what happened in my heart in an instant was outrage. I was furious. I literally pole vaulted over compassion as fast as anything because I was indignant. I thought, how can she do that? And what I straight away thought in my head was, if I'd known that was going to happen, I wouldn't have given that money to that kid. And that's a pretty awful thing that went through my head straight away because She immediately became undeserving of my help, but actually so did that child. And it didn't even occur to me how desperate she might be to do that. 
And it didn't occur to me that maybe someone else had already given them some money earlier on. And last time, the kid got the majority of the food, and this time, she was having the majority. It didn't occur to me that perhaps she had to carry him somewhere to get home or to wherever they were going to be sleeping that night. And perhaps she needed the energy to carry him back to somewhere else. And in the same way that, you know, you're told if, a pl- if you're on a plane and it's in trouble to put your own oxygen mask on first, maybe it was that type of situation. None of those things occurred to me at all. I just went straight to being outraged and, and I didn't want to show her any mercy or even the kid at all. But those who follow Jesus are called to show mercy to the poor and broken, not based on what they've done, not even based on how they respond to us at all but based on who God is and how he has treated us. Society treats people according to their behavior, but Christians are called to treat people according to the behavior of Jesus. So when people come to us in need, when people come to us who are poor or broken, whether it's through their own fault or not, we are called to be merciful just like our Father in heaven. And it's not just that we're called to show mercy, it's actually that we get to show mercy. It's an amazing privilege that we get to be Christ's representatives to people around us. We get to um, show people something of the kindness and the compassion and the love of God. And it's not to say that we don't think through the best way to help someone. Of course we need to be wise with how we help people. But I know that so often my starting place is, oh, what is the wise response rather than what is the most merciful response. So I know that I'm naturally prone, if I see someone begging in the streets, to think straight away, shall I give them money? Because I'm not sure, what if they spend it on drugs or on drink? Or what if they feed their dog before they feed themselves? Oh, I'm not sure whether I should do that. And so often that's my starting place. Rather than the first question I want to ask in my head and in my heart is, how can I most show this person the mercy and love of God today? That's what I want to be, my starting place. And I think as Christians, that's what we're called to do. We're called to not look at the person in front of us, but to look firstly at Jesus and then act out of that. Care for the poor and broken isn't an optional extra for Christians. It's an essential part of following Jesus. The more we become like Jesus, the more we'll be concerned about the poor and broken around us. And the more we're aware of the outrageous mercy that God has shown to us, Don't you know, like God has shown me outrageous mercy. I do not know where I would be without the mercy of God on my life. Both today, I don't know where I'd be, but certainly for eternity. What I would do without the mercy of God, it would be hopeless and desperate. He's shown me outrageous mercy that I in no way deserved, in no way have earned, and yet he's given it to me despite the way I've behaved, despite the decisions I've made, despite the situations I've got myself in. And now we have the amazing privilege of doing the same, actually, to those who are desperate and poor and broken around us. Do you mind, could we stand? I'd just love to pray as we finish. God, I'm so thankful that you are so merciful. I thank you that it's who you are. I thank you that you have delighted to show mercy to me. I thank you that you have been so kind and so gracious and that now you call me into the great adventure of getting to show mercy to other people too. And I pray for all of us in this room, would you give us opportunities this week and over the rest of the summer and beyond to show mercy and kindness to those around us. 
I pray you'd bring the poor and the broken across our paths. And I pray you'd help us to respond in the way that you would respond. I pray you'd help us, Jesus, to show something of your character and your mercy to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. I just want to say as a practical response, um, a slide's going to come up now that just gives you a list of some of the um, projects that we run as a church, some of the projects that are run by other Christians in the town. If you feel on the back of this that you would just like to get stuck in, that you would like to get more involved, I know that all of these projects need more people, need more resources. So please head over to the info desk if you'd like to sign up to get involved in one of those things. Thanks very much. Fantastic. Thank you.